Right, it's great to be with you this morning, really is. Thank you so much for the invitation. And, uh, you know, we're on a journey together, Mars and Revival Church, it really is. And uh, a number of years now, isn't it? So it's really good. We really appreciate your prayers, your financial support, and connecting to Israel is just part of that, isn't it? So it sounds like we had a great time. I listened to the podcast from last week, and those who went had a great time making that connection. You know, God is a God of people and places and time. You know, and going to visit Israel is something that you can't tell anyone about until you go yourself and see what happened there. So it's great that you were able to get out there and uh, and experience what God is doing and will continue to do as well. Okay, I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you believe in miracles? Do you really? Do you want to see more miracles? <laughs> you know, the church needs the miraculous, doesn't it? And uh, miracles make so much difference in people's life. I know in my life, when I became a believer, now I come from a, my father is Jewish, my mother was uh, involved in spiritualism and so was I. So we had a real mix at home, although I brought up in a, a secular home in that sense, but with a very strong spiritual input. So when I became a believer at the age of 21, and uh, I tried to make excuses not for becoming a believer, I was in a bit of a mess. And uh, I decided to follow Jesus and um, and I still had a lot of issues and hang-ups and problems. And I can remember not long after I'd become a believer, I was in a Christian bookshop and reading a book on depression and thinking, you know, I need some help. I've still got this depression from the past, etc. And I heard God speak into my heart. It wasn't what well, seemed audible to me. Um, and he said, you don't have to have that anymore, you know. And from that moment, I never suffered from a single bit of depression. You know, we need miracles, don't we? To, to just impact us and to impact the world around us. And a number of years after that, I had some terrible back problems and I went to the doctors and the doctor said, yeah, he said that the spine, he said, at the base of your spine, the muscle's gone there. He said, so you've got bone on bone. He said, it's not getting to get any better. He said, in the sense it is incurable. So we'll just have to deal with that. And as I stepped out of the doctor, doctors, I heard that voice again. It said to me... Um, Incurable isn't in my dictionary. <laughs> and I've never had a problem since. <laughs> never had a problem. Sometimes we get a bit of backache now and again. We'll get that, I mean. But, you know, God is a God of miracles, isn't he? He does things in our life. He's a, an amazing God. And recently, in fact, this year, I had an issue. I had to have a MRI and I had to have a biopsy. And the scan showed all this white material. And um, the consultant said to me, that could be cancer. It might not be. But it's all white. He said, you're going to have to have a biopsy. And then um, a couple of weeks later from that, I went in. I got all gowned up and everything. And I went to the surgeon. And he looked at the pictures. And he said, why are you here? And I said, well, the consultant says there's cancer. He said, I can't see anything there at all. He said, uh, I said, Don't, do I have to have it? He said, yeah, you do. <laughs> so I had to go through it. But now God was working. And within a week, a week of the, the biopsy, wasn't they rung me and said, there's nothing there at all. We're discharging you. God does miracles, doesn't he? And we need the miraculous in our lives, in other people's lives as well. We really do. You know, in Acts 19, there's, the account there tells us Paul and his two-year ministry in the school of Tyrannus. This was in uh, Ephesus. And it says this term in Acts 19. It says that God worked unusual miracles by the hand of Paul. Unusual miracles. You know, sometimes we're allowed to dream. We are. 
<laughs> as Christians, we've had our dream. God speaks, uh, and what were those unusual miracles? Now, it tells us about the handkerchiefs or the aprons that were brought, and, and he prayed over them and they were taken. But I think it was bigger than that. Unusual miracles. Wouldn't we like to see some of those? Unusual miracles amongst us. That would be exciting, wouldn't it? You know, when the miraculous happens, lives are changed and the kingdom is extended. And that's what we have to see. That's what we want to see. If we look back through church history, we will see um, those who are faithful to the word of God and who seek him experience the miraculous and see the miraculous happen. And that is the story of the church that is moving on in kingdom power. But you know what? If you look at the life, the, the life story, if you like, of Israel, you see incredible miracles. If you think of the book of Exodus and the incredible things that happened there, those plagues that were called upon the Egyptians, the parting of the Red Sea, all of those people fed, millions of people fed as they moved across the desert. And if you've been to the Middle East, some of you have here, and, and you've seen the desert, you know what it's like. There's not a lot there, is there? <laughs> and God provided week, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, for everything they needed to survive. God has done incredible miracles. Think of Elijah and Elisha. You know, those amazing things. And if you've been to Israel and you drive through Tel Aviv, there's the Ayalon Valley. It's a motorway now. It's normally not moving very fast. Um, But it's a motorway in the Ayalon Valley. When I first went to Israel, they said, we're just going to drive up the Ayalon Valley. And I thought, hang on, this is where the sun stops still for Joshua. Now it's a motorway, <laughs> but it's the Ireland Valley. This is here, yeah, the traffic's up, yeah. Instead <laughs> of the sun, yeah. <laughs> oh, very good. <laughs> but, uh, but I thought, this is the place where it happened. You know, God stopped the sun. And you have to think about that, of the science behind that. When the sun stops, the earth stops, and everything else stops, doesn't it? It's uh, not just, not very simple, and only God can do that. You know, the destruction of Sennacherib's army, God just does that, and he destroys an enemy army. God does the miraculous and if we look in the history of israel we see the miraculous if you're in covenant relationship with god he covenants to come through he covenants to do what he does when you do what you do and israel's covenant relationship has led to spectacular against the laws of nature miracles the very existence of israel today is a miracle how could they possibly exist against all those odds against them now if we look at um John chapter 10, it's quite a significant chapter. It talks about Jesus being the good shepherd. Okay, Jesus has contrasted himself with those who were bad shepherds. She's looking at the book of Ezekiel, he refers to there. But in chapter 10, he talks about himself being the good shepherd. And right in the, the center of this account, God gives us a time and he gives us an occasion As I said, God is a God of people and places and time, etc. And it says in verse 22 of John chapter 10. Now it was a feast of dedication in Jerusalem and it was winter. There's no word in the word of God that is a mistake. So God says right in the center of all that's happening here, this discussions between the Pharisees and Jesus, the contention over here, whether he's the Messiah or not. And all that stuff, as you know, in the, in the Gospels that go on. So there's lots of contention and, and other things happening there. But God gives us a time and a place. It was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. Now, the feast of dedication is what we know as the feast of Hanukkah. Okay, It's very important to Jewish people all over the world right now. We're thinking of Hanukkah. 
is we're getting ready for when Hanukkah happens, the Feast of Dedication. So I'm going to ask the question this morning, what is the significance of that to, to Jewish people? And what is it, is it to significant to the body of Christ today, the body of Messiah today? What, what is the significance of this festival? It only gets mentioned here, okay, just in this verse. But it was important enough for Jesus to be in the temple on that day. Okay, it was important to him. He didn't just pop up to Jerusalem. You know, he didn't just get on the high-speed rail link thing we've got now or get a taxi. Um, but, you know, it, it, you have to, to go to Jerusalem, you have to make a decision because it's traveling there, etc. But he was there at the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem. So that is a festival that he kept that was important to him to be there at that time. And there he was. And what's it significant to us? Well, it starts this year on the 22nd of December. Okay, it overlaps with Christmas. It's not the Jewish Christmas. Something oh, it's a Jewish Christmas. It's not. Um, <laughs> it's, it's eight days, okay? So we give gifts for eight days, so it's longer than that. So there you go. Um, but it has its, its roots in a revolution, a rebellion, and in a fight to, to uh, protect the Jewish faith. That's what it's all about. So all over the world, it's a fun festival. People get ready for it. They have music and eating. Well, everything involves eating in Israel, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, it, it's just a celebration time. So it is, it is a fun time. And when we was, came back from Israel last week, you begin to see the beginning of Hanukkah because the bakers have all the donuts in. Okay, you see lots more donuts. Okay, so, so it's better than Christmas because it has donuts. <laughs> but there's two, two words I'd like you to think of and hang on to this morning as I speak. Okay, the first one is light. And we heard that in the worship this morning, didn't we? The light theme coming through, the light. And the second one is oil. Okay, they're two key words, light and oil. One of the greatest threats to the Jewish people down through history has been assimilation. Now, with all of the persecution, and that's happened for 2,000 years, sadly, mostly from people who call themselves Christians, um, but the biggest threat has been assimilation. The Jewish people losing their past, who they were, where they came from, losing their identity, and also, you know, losing their relationship with God because of non-biblical religious practices that God always warned people about. You know, in some countries like China, the Jewish population has almost disappeared. I know people who are Chinese Jews, um, but a lot of them have just been assimilated because they, it's, as a country, China has not persecuted the Jews as much as many other countries. So there are broken down synagogues of just collapsed and not been used anymore and they've been assimilated into the population um, sometimes you know persecution does keep your identity strong but in china and in other places that hasn't happened so let's give you a bit of a historical summary of hanukkah some of you may know about the feast of dedication the feast of hanukkah some may know well you've heard of alexander the great he conquered syria and egypt and israel all that area around 333 bc and um, what Alexander often did in the countries he looked at each country and allowed them certain freedoms but he'd had a vision when he was a young man that he would go to a city where there was like a golden type big building temple type building and when he got there uh, in this dream he saw a, a man dressed completely in white and he knew that was part of his destiny to respect what this was because when he conquered Jerusalem he came in on his horse and there was the temple and the high priest dressed completely in white standing on the corner. So it was significant for him, you know, that he had seen that dream before. And he allowed the Jewish people to practice their religion. Okay, he was happy with that. And so this kingdom continued. But what happened was that as time went on, Jewish people began to look at the Greek culture and they saw it as sophisticated and educated 
and thought, well, Jewish religion, it's a bit old-fashioned, it's a bit tribal, it's a bit custom-related. And so people began to absorb Greek practices in all different areas. They began to dress differently, they began to forsake the teaching of the past, and so they began this process of assimilation. Great danger, as I said before, they began to assimilate Greek culture more and more, adopting the language, and in fact taking part in the games. So um, the, the Greek... Greeks built a large um, games amphitheater in Jerusalem, and the games were you're supposed to take part naked in the games. And so Jewish people were, uh, men would compete, including priests were competing in these games naked. So, you know, things began to slide a great deal, slide away. And the religious Jews, I mean, they hated it, but they were allowed to keep their religion. Okay, they were allowed to keep practicing their religion at that time. Um, but what happened after? Alexander died, his kingdom broke into two, the Ptolemaic and the Seleucid Empire. And along came a chap called Antiochus IV, Antiochus Epiphany, some called him. He was a man that was completely different from the spirit of, of, of Alexander. And he began to persecute the Jews. And they might think, oh, isn't that terrible? But actually, this was the thing that triggered the revival of the Jewish religion. Now, we don't want persecution, do we, in the world? We pray for the persecuted church. But actually, don't you find quite often it's the persecuted church that are stronger, that are praying for us? I know a friend of ours went to China and said, oh, we've been praying for you. I said, we're praying for you as well. And you look how weak your faith is. <laughs> so, um, but this guy, Antiochus IV, he stopped the Jewish religion. He said, right, you're not going to practice anymore. You're not allowed to uh, read the Torah anymore. That's the Bible. And he began to sacrifice pigs on the temple. And he put his own high priest in there. Now this for many was the, the last straw. Uh, Jews were persecuted. They were forced to eat um, pork on pain of death. And also the death sentence was put on circumcision as well. So the whole identity of the Jewish people was beginning to be crushed and crushed more and more. And... Um, People were thrown to their death and everything. But the outlawing of the word of God was the last straw for many. And what happened was uh, Greek troops went into a village called Motadim, which is it's there today, there's a town called Motadim today. And they said to uh, one of the high priests there, or one of the priests, sorry, to one of uh, Matthias Maccabee, they said to him, right, we want you to sacrifice a pig. And he said, I'm not going to do that. So a Jewish man stepped forward and said, I'll do it instead. So Matthias killed the man and killed the Greek um, soldier as well. And then he and his five sons fled to the hills and said, come and join us. You know, we're not going to have this anymore. We're going to stand up for our faith. We're not going to give in. And uh, there's a famous quote by Rabbi Noah Weinberg. And he said, figure out what you're willing to die for, then live for it. Figure out what you're willing to die for, then live for it. And this is where the miraculous comes in, because some others joined them. And there were 10 to 12,000 Jewish rebels, just ordinary people. And they fought against an army of 40,000 Greek, well-trained, well-equipped, hardened soldiers with elephants. And they were like the tanks of, the, of that day. Um, so they had a fully mechanized army. And yet after 26 years of struggle, the Maccabees overcame, threw off the Greek rule, took over Jerusalem, took over. In fact, the land they took over was almost the size of, the, of Solomon's kingdom. So successful were that. It was a miraculous deliverance for them, most definitely. Miraculous deliverance. But... The, Matthias Maccabee paid with the death of four of his sons. Only one Simon survived that. So they, they only lived for something they believed in. They died for something as well. But it was miraculous. They got the temple back. They rededicated the temple. It was a, a physical and a spiritual victory as well. 
And that was the aim, was to rebuild the temple. Was to, not, it was there, but it had to be rededicated. And so that was the desire. That was where God said he was at that time. He was in the temple. So for them, it was very, very important. Now, I've got a couple of, uh, I've got a table here today because I've brought my Tesco bag with me, as you can see. There are other super, high street supermarkets that are available. Um, but <laughs> but this, this is a good Jewish one, this one, Tesco's. My dad remembers being an apprentice tailor and Jack Cohen, who founded, Jewish man who founded Tesco's, coming into the um, tailor's place to do his, have his suits done. <laughs> so there you go. Right, now this is what we call a Hanukkah. Okay. Now, in the temple they have the menorah. Okay, and this is what Hanukkah celebrates. In the menorah, we have um, the seven branch. Now, this is more. I've talked about why that's more in a minute. The seven branch menorah, okay, which must be lit at all times. When they got into the temple, there was they had to set up a menorah. The original one had been melted down, but they set up a menorah. But they had to use a special type of oil. You'll see it in the Old Testament. They have to burn a certain type of oil in the menorah. Now, there was only a tiny bit left, and it takes eight days to prepare and sanctify the oil. So they said, well, we've got this oil, let's light the menorah. So they lit it, and that little tiny bit of oil lasted for eight days. So that's why Hanukkah is eight days. Okay, they celebrate that. They celebrate that. Now, Jewish people don't celebrate war. They don't celebrate death and fighting. So we won't celebrate the fact that we won that victory. We celebrate the fact that the miracle of the oil that lasted for eight days, when it should have run out, really, within a couple of hours. So that's what Hanukkah is about. It's about the lighting of the menorah. Now, this is a Hanukkah. It's got more, as you can see. It has eight. And we use this at a Hanukkah. And so we light a candle every day for the eight days of Hanukkah. And we have a candle at the top called a shemesh, or a slave candle. So you can have oil or a candle in there. And we light that to light the others. And every day, we'll be doing that this year from the 22nd of December, we will light a candle and we will pray and we will remember God's faithfulness. God always said to the Jewish people, remember, remember your faithfulness. So we will light one every day and burn it just for a couple of hours, just as a commemoration of what God has done miraculously for our people. And that's really, really important to us. And we eat as well. Did I mention that? We did like to eat. <laughs> and so I've got another illustration. I'd like eight volunteers, okay, because this is what we always do. You haven't seen what it is yet. Oh, good. Volunteers already, you see. You've seen the donuts, haven't you? So there we go. There we go. Shalini Ots, that's right. There we are. So if you'd like, you help yourself to a donut. Did we get eight volunteers? Well, that was really quick. How willing you are. So here we go. So help yourself to a donut. I've got no serviettes. Who's missing out? Because I shouldn't eat anymore, see? There we are. Help yourself to a donut. That's what it's for. My eight volunteers. <laughs> that was quick. <laughs> well done. And two more here. Two more volunteers for a donut. There we go. Do you know, it's normally hard to get volunteers. It's a really tough one, isn't it? So you've all got a donut. That's good. Well done. Well done. I would have made it easier illustration. There's another illustration. Right, wonderful. There we go. Good. That's good. That means I don't have to eat them, so you can go and enjoy your donuts now. It's all right. So go and enjoy your donuts. That's all you've got to do. I know. It's easy, isn't it? It's really easy, that is. So we've got to celebrate, you see, by having donuts. Did I mention that we like eating? Sorry, I said that, didn't I? <laughs> so there you go. 
Enjoy your dad. So there's only eight. I do, in fact, do you know what? I went into the shop and I was going to buy 12 and I bought eight and I've just realized sitting there that there's eight candles anyway. But we also have latkes as well and that's, that's like a potato with oil. So they're really unhealthy, really unhealthy eating at dinners. And, um, the other thing we do is, is these. These are dreidels. Okay. They're a spinning top. Okay. It's a little spinning top there. As you can see. And they come in a variety of shapes and colors. Now, if this isn't just a silly game, okay, because what you've got on here is, um, I won't explain the game in detail, but it involves spinning this here, and it has four Hebrew letters on it, okay, and they represent four words, which are, a great miracle happened there. Okay, so when they play the game, now the game originated in the time of the Maccabee because the uh, study of the Bible became illegal. So they used to study the Torah, Bible, and if anyone came along, an inspector, they used to quickly get the game out and play a game. We're just playing a game, don't worry, we're not, not studying the Bible. It's okay. That was the cover. <laughs> um, but it's done with like, little prizes of sweets and things. But it says, a great miracle happened here. Okay. Um, there is an alternative, which we would use in the UK, which is, a great miracle happened there. Okay, that's the other one. <laughs> so these four Hebrew letters represent what that means. And so lots of things we do to remember. So if children play that game, you can see that thing about teaching your children the scriptures. Okay, you talk about why do we play this game? We play this game because it reminds us of the miracle of Hanukkah. Okay, that's what it does. It's very important. So it's Neskadol Hayasham if you'd like it in the Hebrew as well. So let's come back to our words. Okay, I gave you light and oil, didn't I? Okay, first of all, light. The Jewish people are called to be a light to the nations. Isaiah 49 and verse 6 says, I have a greater task for you, my servant. Not only will you restore to greatness the people of Israel who have survived, but I will also make you a light to the nations so that all the world may be saved. The original purpose of choosing of Israel, who were the least of all nations, was for God's glory so that they could see, the world could see what God could do with a nation that was the least of all. Now, as we know, we learn the lesson that Israel messed up to a certain degree. They should have been a light to the nations. And they always have been because with 2,000 years out of their own nation, without their language, without any power or authority, they have survived. And that is a light for God's glory of his faithfulness of the promises of God. So God showed his faithfulness by keeping the covenant and bringing them back to the land. And in a sense, they are a light because of that. Now, ultimately, of course, the light was fulfilled in Jesus, in the Messiah, in Yeshua. It says in John 8:12, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now, well, I've got a light with me. I've got my bag of tricks today. Just to remind you how important light is. There we go. I didn't know whether there were fire alarms in here, so you've got one here. You've got one of these. There we go. Now, the middle candle, it's interesting that many of the festivals and feasts, Jewish people keep them, but they often speak of the Messiah. So, for the lighting of this Hanukkah, we have what's called the slave candle, the Shemesh candle, okay? And it lights the other lights. And I always think it so points to Jesus, that he brings light to others. He is a light, but he brings light to others as well, because it says in Matthew 5, 14 to 16, you are the light of the world. So Jesus transfers his light, doesn't he, to us. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill, set on a hill 
cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house, that your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And believers now, Gentile believers, Jewish believers, together are a light to the world, being lit by the original light to the world as well. So Hanukkah speaks of that as well. You know, it is so important, isn't it, to be a light to the world around us. It's so important. So here's our second one, oil. You know, oil has a unique characteristic. And I do need another volunteer. There's a little bit more involved this time. Another volunteer, anyone? Before, there's no more, no more donuts to eat, sorry. <laughs> You've eaten all the donuts. Yeah, yeah, come on, come on. Let's have this. There we go. Right, okay then. Now, we spoke earlier about oil. Okay, now I don't want to make too much of a mess. I'll get you thrown out of school. Hang on. Let's put this here. Now, oil has some quite unique properties. It's not a magic trick. I'm going to make a rabbit come out. And okay. Put some a bit of water in there. Is that all right? I think you can see what I can do. And the perfectly warm water. I can drink it if you like. What do you reckon about a bit yeah, about there, so, so we don't splash it. And here's some oil, if you want to put some oil in there as well. Okay. <laughs> Making lessons here. So oil refuses to assimilate. Okay, there we go. It is the most politically incorrect of all substances. So we're going to put that oil in there, as you can see. And what is the oil doing? Sorry, you can't see it too much at the back there, but it's quite clear, isn't it, that the oil... Stays at the top. It's in there, but it's not intermixed with it. So I'm going to try and mix it in. Okay, so I try it with a spoon first. See if we can give it a good mix. Yeah, we'll oh, look at this! Here. Look at this! <laughs> there you go. It's a good mix in there. There is, yeah. Good stir. Good stir. So is it going to stay in mixed? Is it? You've done it. It's looking pretty yellow. What do we think? Let's have a look, folks. It's separating out, you see. A bit of colour there, but it's definitely sitting on top still. Let's try something a bit more extreme, shall we? Maybe we should try this one. There we go. With it. Come on, you close. Stand back. I used to do it when I was a child. Yeah, I'll be raging the kitchen table this thing. So. There we go. That's giving it a good mix in, isn't it? That's really good. You're doing a good job there. <laughs> good. Oh, I think that's really well blended now. Let's have a look, see what happens now, shall we? Now, Julian, you've done a good job there. Okay, here we go. He's done a better job, actually, hasn't he? Look, yeah, look at that. Look, see? There we go. Make donuts next week. There we go. Bring it here. There he goes. You can see it's a little bit longer. It's, it's been been through the mill a bit, hasn't it? You see, we've really given it some some elbow grease here, but within time, I'm taking up all my time this morning. But by the, you can see it separating out. It's beginning to clear. So well done. Thank you, Julie, for that. No more donuts, I'm afraid. I've got no donuts here. It's beginning to separate again. So oil is definitely not one for being mixed in. And uh, where oil is a lesson here for burning, it's also a lesson for us as well that we should be like the oil, you know, in the world, but not of the world. Okay, getting mixed in there, and sometimes life is like that, isn't it? 
Maybe life's been like that for you and you felt like someone's put your life through one of these. (laughs) Because sometimes that happens, doesn't it? But nonetheless, uh, we are called to be a light and to be like this oil that is clearly separating itself from the things of the world. It's not assimilating. You know, there's more danger in us as believers assimilating ourselves to the ways of the world than in anything else. You know, persecution from outside often, you know, brings us stronger, doesn't it? When we have issues and trouble, you ask for prayer, we come closer to God, we come closer to one another, we know where the good place to be is in the fellowship, where we're stronger. Um, but if we begin to assimilate in our lives, we begin to compromise in different areas and mix in, and then we lose our light, really. So that's really one of the lessons of, um, of Hanukkah, really, that, that we need to be like light. And we need to be like oil as well. You know, we assimilate really when we find things of the world much more attractive than being with Jesus, don't we? We assimilate when we compromise on the word of God. And you know what's happening, as you know, in this country now? People are being arrested for reading the Bible or for praying silently outside an abortion clinic that happened recently. Or for just reading the Bible and the word of God, just reading it. It's happening, you know. And we cannot compromise on these things. Um, and there are many areas... In our lives, maybe God says, look, hi, guy, stop assimilating, stop compromising in these areas. How can we be effective? How can we be light if we compromise in these areas? It was the last straw for the Maccabees. They'd had enough. You know, they'd seen people moving towards the world, giving up on their faith, forsaking what was important. But when it came to the word of God, when it came to that practice that brought them close to God, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. And they said, no, this far and no more, no further. And so as Christians, we need to learn that lesson, don't we, from Hanukkah? You know, it's a fun time. We eat donuts. We play with the dreidel. We, uh, we don't mix oil with water. But, um, but, <laughs> but, uh, but we remember the oil reminds us and the light reminds us what we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be doing. And Jesus is the suffering servant, of course, the ultimate servant, gives us light. That's where we get our light from when we come close to him, when we're near him, the closeness of the Hanukkah reminds us that we've got to be close to the servant, the one who gives us a light and we're light to the world. In Matthew 5, that your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, Hanukkah is a reminder that we must remain committed to God in a godless world. Can I pray with you today as we finish? Father, we thank you that these things, fun as they are, Lord, remind us of truths. They remind us, Lord, of your faithfulness, firstly, that you are faithful to your people. Even when, Lord, we drift from you, sometimes you, you stir us, you, you put us in the mix, Lord, just to remind us what's important, Lord God. And sometimes, Lord, through these situations, Lord, it's when we get closer to you. But Father, it's also a reminder of us to remain faithful to you ourselves, to want to be that light that makes a difference. Lord, we thank you that you've done miracles down through history, Lord, and you're still doing them today. Lord, we bless you for the miraculous truth of Hanukkah, of that time when you came through and you delivered your people to a life back in faithfulness. Lord, help us, we pray, this year. Lord, help us in Christmas and Hanukkah. Help us to be a light and to tell people about Jesus. Lord, you don't do this to condemn us, Lord, but you do it to encourage us and to bring us closer to you. So I pray for Billericay. I pray for this town. 
I pray for the various expressions of pastors, the street pastors and the other areas they're working. I pray for Revival Church. I pray, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit upon this church, that you will make it a light, like a city that sits on a hill in darkness, that can be seen for miles around. May it be a light to the town around it, Lord. Lord, may they be oil, Lord. May they be in the world but not of the world. May they be making a difference in people's lives. May they be bringing life and light and the miraculous, the extension of the kingdom of God. That's what I pray for, Lord, the extension and the power and the demonstration of the kingdom in Billericay. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Jane. Thanks, Brian. Probably don't realise that was a very strong prophetic word you just gave us at the end there, because that is what God has been saying to us repeatedly about being a city set on a hill. So thank you for that.